0: just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You may be seated. You know, everyone's life is full these days. Uh, our lives are so, so packed, aren't they? Like we live busy, packed lives, so busy that that's even how we, we answer each other now whenever we ask each other how we're doing. Have you noticed that? I tried to stop it, but it still keeps sneaking out. Somebody's like, how are you doing? I'm like, ah, I'm good. Busy, but good, right? Like, it's i like, I'm, how are you doing? I'm busy. Like, that's like the way that we, we wear it like a badge. Like if I can be, man, I, I'm busy, man, I got stuff going on. I'm busy. But then we also kind of wear it like a little bit kind of a burden, don't we? Oh man, so busy. Can't seem to get off the, the train. I can't seem to get off the merry-go-round. I'm so busy. I'm so weighed down. We run so hard, don't we? We run so hard, and our time is always filled with something. Even if it's a moment, a, a, a moment, a, an afternoon, an evening, where we don't have things that we have to do we we fill it up with something to do something on our phone or something to watch something that will will take up our time and, and we're always busy we're our life is full we're we're running hard and and the thing that we all, we have to ask ourselves always is is we have to wonder like what does it all count for what what does it all count for we we sang that song about we're we're building I'll build on you. We're built, we're all of us are building so feverishly in our lives. We're building something. The question is, what are we building on and what are we building with? Are we building on the, the shifting sand or the solid rock? Are we building with gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, or straw? That's the question. But the, the thing is that we're all building. We're all producing something. All of us. Our, our life, our actions, they're producing something. We're all working towards something. And the question is, what is the result of all our feverish work and effort and striving? Our lives are packed so full. The question is, even though they're packed so full, are they truly producing something? a truly full life? Our lives are packed full, but are they truly producing a truly full life? That's what Jesus is promising in this passage that was just read for us by Megan. I mean, what he's, think, think about what he said in that passage. He's, he's talking about living a life confidently knowing that we're going to get whatever we ask God for. Did you hear that right off the bat, that verse? You ask anything, I'll do it. He's talking about living a life confidently knowing that whatever whatever we ask from God, we're going to get it. He's talking about living a meaningful life. He says that you'll be fruitful that's what a, a fruitful life produce, produces. It produces a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. My life counts for something. There's a fruit. There's something that's being produced that, that is true and good and real and lasting, knowing that we count. And he talks about living securely, knowing that we are greatly loved. That's what love produces, doesn't it? It's just a sense of security. And then, to top it all off, he says that he's telling us, offering us, uh, promising us a life that is full of joy. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What Jesus is talking about is he's talking about us living the fullest kind of life possible. That's what he's talking about. Let me ask you, does your life, is your life described by that? The fullest life possible not a full life where you're just everything your life is packed and you're busy but that kind of life a life of love and joy of confidence knowing that you get whatever you ask from God and that your life is meaning and full of meaning and counts for something don't you if it doesn't don't you want it to don't you want to live the fullest life possible Don't you want to live a life of true fullness? Listen to those promises again, just so that we're all on the same page. John 15, 7 through 11. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so promises here in this illustration of the the vine and the branches uh, just before this week the part of the passage that we covered last week he says that he Jesus is the vine he's the true vine and he said that the father is the vine dresser or the the farmer and, and that we those who those who follow him uh, as Lord and Savior that we are the branches in the vine and, and, and this is what he says he says just like branches that that, that reside or are connected to the vine, just like, a, just like branches that are connected to a vine, that we cannot produce fruit apart from abiding or staying connected to the vine. And that if we abide in him, that we will, he says, bear fruit. Not we might, but we will bear much fruit is actually what he says. And then he says those branches that, that don't bear fruit are actually going to get tossed away. And even that those that, that bear fruit will be pruned, cut back, so that they'll bear even more fruit. He, he tells us that it's our job, basically, to, to bear fruit, and that we do so not by our own effort or striving or work, but we do so as we abide in him. Now, this part of the passage that we're in today describes the, the results of us abiding in him. And these are the promises that he makes again. He says, there'll be answered prayer. You'll live fruitful lives that'll be so fruitful that it actually will glorify the Father. No one will be able to say this came from you. They'll know it came from God. And joyfulness. Answered prayer, lives that glorify the Father, and joyfulness. Now, if you notice, these promises that he makes, they're conditional promises. If you look in verse 7 and verse 10, you'll see they both begin with the word if. Verse 7 and verse 10. Verse 7, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish. And then verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. See, those are great promises, but they are contingent. They are conditional we have to abide if we're going to receive the promises and we're going to, we have to obey if we're going to abide. Now, you may hear that and think, great. One more thing for me to add to my list of my very busy life that we already talked about. How in the world do I abide in him and how will I know if I am abiding in him? And, and you said, like, I have to... I have to obey if I want to abide. How am I to keep his commands? It sounds like just one more thing that I'm going to fail at. Maybe you've experienced that in your Christian life. Just, maybe you've gotten to that point. That I know a lot of jaded Christians I've been there who just think, man, when we hear something like that, hey, that's just one more thing, Randy, I'm going to fail at. That's just one more promise I'm not going to keep. One more thing I'm going to not be able to keep, but I'm going to keep on living this nominal Christian life just trying to hang on. And perhaps it would be that kind of statement if if Jesus didn't also give us a powerful reason for us to abide in him. And and that is, he he gives us a motivation, and and that is this, that is the mind-blowing love of God. The mind-blowing, love. I I spent, honestly, I spent minutes thinking about how to to phrase that. I can't think of other words to use that describe it any better, though there are other words that you could use. Uh, The best thing I can get is that it's mind-blowing, it's the the mind-blowing love of God for us, for me. The mind-blowing love of God for you is the reason that we want to abide in Christ. The mind-blowing love of God for you, for me, is the reason we want to abide in Christ. Look at verse 9. I think this is the key verse of this whole section. Uh, John 15, 9. As, notice that word, we'll mark it or come back to it. As the Father has loved me, so, mark that word as well, so have I loved you, abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, therefore abide in my love. The, those are two words that you need, to, you need to hear and you need to understand, and they are mind-blowing in their implications. In fact, here's the truth. I can't preach this to your heart and to your mind right now. We need Jesus Christ to be in our midst through his word and through his spirit so that you understand the mind blowing implication of those two words. You need to have him him speak that to your heart. You need to hear him speak it to you and have him show it to you for you to understand because it's so profound and so amazing. We could camp here for days and weeks and months and even years and not exhaust the mind-blowing truth behind those two words. And those words are as and so. As the Father has loved me, so. I loved you. See, those those words, as and so, those are measurement words. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just as such and such, so this thing is equal. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Here's what he's saying. This is what's so mind-blowing. I can't even convey it properly. The love that Jesus loves us with. The love that Jesus loves you with. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, equal with the Father, the second person of the Godhead, the love that Jesus loves us with, loves you with, is the same love that the Father has eternally loved him with. i got to say that again. I think if we really understood it, some of you guys would be weeping and crying. Some of you guys would be rejoicing and leaping up and down. Your heart would be pumping and racing inside you. You would be filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. If you understand that the love that Jesus loves you and me with is the same love that the Father has eternally loved him with. You are loved by the eternal Son of God. And that love is intimate, and that love is eternal. And it is as unbreakable as the love of the Father to the Son. Could the Father, any of you Trinitarian scholars in here, could the Father ever stop loving the Son or ever love the Son any less? Could He? By definition, the Father has loved the Son with an amazing, unending love since eternity. There was no time in which he did not love the Son. There's no time there was not love and joy between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says that he loves you and me with that kind of incredible, intimate, eternal love. And therefore, Jesus says, because He is eternally loved by the Father, He abides in the love of the Father just just so we are eternally loved by Him, by Jesus Christ, and we are then to abide in that eternal, never-ending, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. You see, here's the truth. You and I are already loved before you began before you existed before you were a gleam in your Father's eye, before a cell of you was formed, before anyone imagined you, the Father loved you with an eternal, never giving up, always and forever love. And Jesus Christ has loved you with an eternal, never giving up, always and forever love. And God, the Holy Spirit has loved you with a never ending, always and forever, never ending love. That's the kind of love that you are loved by, with by the Father's Son, and Holy Spirit you are already loved but but what does that mean what does it mean to be loved by God I mean what does it mean that the son loves us as the father has loved him I mean we all want to be we all want to be loved but what effect should the love of God have on us well here's here's how we can define his love and what kind of effect it should have on us. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote a letter called 1 John, and in chapter 4, he defines the love of God for us. We can't fully define it, but he has sort of encapsulated the love of God for us. 1 John 4, 9, and 10. In this, the love of God was made Manifest among us. To be made manifest means something to be, he makes something clearly to be seen. In this, the love of God was made visible among us. How so? That God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. That's how God showed us his love. And then he defines love. And this is love. This is what love is. Not that we have loved God. but that he has loved us, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God defines love in that God God loved us first and that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. It's a confusing word and it may not register with you quite off the bat but that word propitiation means the the turning away or the absorbing of wrath and and here's the picture God tells us in Exodus 20 whenever he chose his people the Jews and he pulled them apart from himself and saved them out of Egypt he he says this in the middle of the Ten Commandments he says you should not bow down or serve any idols for why for I the Lord your God am a jealous god what is what is he jealous of he's jealous of our love and our devotion which we continually give just like you should not bow down to them or serve them we continually give our love and our devotion our worship to anything other than him to ourselves To our lovers, our spouse, our children, to football, to this team, to that team, to money, to security, to career, to education, to any number of things we give our love and devotion to anything other than him. And he says that he is jealous of our love and devotion. He's jealous of our love and our devotion. Jesus described it this way. He says, this encapsulates the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to actually love and worship God. It means to love him with everything that you have and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And we have not. You have not. And God, rightfully so, is jealous of our love and devotion. And yet John says this. God has shown us his love he has manifested his love he has made it visible clearly to be seen in this way that he sent his son and he could send no better because in sending his son he was sending himself and he showed us his love in that while we did not love him while we were provoking his jealousy and his wrath yet he still loved us And that love was to such an extent, to such a measure that he would send his son himself to be the propitiation, the absorber of his jealousy and his wrath because of our turning away from him. God came himself and he absorbed, he took on, he received his own wrath. And this is why, because he loved you. Not so that he could love you, but because he loved you. Not so that he could make you okay for him to love you, but because he already did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't abide in Christ to earn his love. The promises might be conditional, but the love of Christ is absolutely not. And it's because of that mind-blowing love that we have been united with Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying because of his great love for us, when he talks about us being the, him, us being the branches and him being the vine, that we should abide in him, he's talking about that, that we have a union, we've been united with Christ, we've been united with him. What he's saying is that is for us who are believers, that is our permanent residing place, our eternal place of love is our union with Christ. It speaks of the depth of our connection with him. If you have been united with Christ, if you've been grafted in as a branch into the vine, then you are now one with the vine. You are now one with Christ. He loves you and he loves me with the same kind of love the Father loves the Son, eternal, always and forever, never giving up. It speaks not only of the depth of our union with Him, but it speaks of the, of the security of our place in Christ. You are secure not because you are, have done anything to place yourself there or have made yourself lovely or made yourself good enough to be loved by God because He loved you while you were still yet in your sin. He loves you while you were still a rebel rebel. Against him, he loved you while you are still in rebellion. He loved you while you were still running far away from him. And if you are a believer in Christ, if you truly call him Lord, if you've experienced the new birth, then your place in him is as deep and as sure as Jesus' place with the Father. So what is it that he's talking about? What is it Jesus is talking about when he talks about us abiding there? If we've been placed in there, if we have union with Christ because of his love for us, that he's placed us in in himself, connected us to himself, and he loves us with the same love that the Father loves him, what is he talking about when he talks about us abiding in him? He's talking about not our union with him, but our communion with him. He's talking about our experience of our union with him. That's what communion is. Communion is what it means to experience the always and forever union that we have with Christ because of his love. It's our experience of the the blessings of already being in Christ. Abiding is our communion, our enjoyment of our relationship with, and our love within God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Communion is when we experience the pleasure. That's the best word I can find. It's when we experience the the pleasure of our deep union with Christ. Are you experiencing the, the pleasure of your union with Christ? Are you experiencing his love and his joy? Are you experiencing the the joy of living a life where he works in you and through you to bear fruit for the glory of the Father? Are you experiencing the kind of union where you know that as you're praying according to his word that he will answer your prayer? This is the the fullness of the life that Jesus has provided for you. It's the It's the kind of life that can keep you full of love and joy in both good times and in bad times. And can make you fruitful, knowing that your life is counting for God even when you feel overcome by your own weakness. See, you and I, in this picture of a vine and branches, you and I are only a branch. As we sang, the the wind and the storms of life are are powerful, aren't they? And we, just being a branch, we are powerless to resist them. But the joint that holds us in the vine is the love of God. You aren't loved because of your actions. You aren't loved because of your decision to follow Christ. You aren't even loved because of the cross. You have the cross because you are loved. The cross is the proof of His love for you. More perfectly, Christ, Jesus, is the proof of God's love for you. He died and rose and is your place of abiding and living. And so when the storms gather and when the wind begins, all we have to do is look at the vine And you know that the vine will hold. I am simply a branch. It can come and I am powerless against the the wind and the waves, against this temptation, against this sin, against this uh, destruction, against this depression, against this overwhelming odds that are against me. I don't know if I can hold, but I look at the vine and I know that he will hold because he is eternal and almighty. He will not be shaken. He was here before, and he will be here after. He is the Lord of the wind and the storm. But how can I know that I can hold on? Haven't I been conquered before? Haven't you been conquered before? Hasn't this temptation come and overwhelmed you and conquered you before? Hasn't this doubt and this disbelief and this depression come and conquered you before? Haven't you been shaken Hasn't the frost and the hail battered you? Yes. Ah, but he'll stand. You look at him, and you see that you are attached to the vine, and you see that the joint that holds you there, is it it your hand that holds you to the vine? Is it your determination that holds you to the vine? Is it your strength of will that holds you to the vine? But don't we often act like it as believers? As if this whole thing is built, is, is, is hanging on my whole life with Christ, my whole eternity, my whole pleasing him is based upon how, how strong and how determined I'm able to hold on to him. No. It's none of those things. You've been grafted in by the vine dresser. It wasn't of you or me. He placed you in because he wanted you and he cemented you. If you could take the picture of of a branch being placed to the vine and being cemented in by his love, he fashioned you in with the cross. The joint that holds you to the vine is not your strength of will or determination or your goodness or your actions. The joint that holds you to the vine is fashioned of the wood of the cross of Jesus Christ. His work, His cross, He Himself is what holds you. His arms hold you. His strengths keep you. Your heart, if you see that, your heart will be filled with love and your mind will be filled with wonder and your mouth will be filled with praise. Of course you want to abide in Him. If you see that love, where else would you want to be? Do you know the love of God for you? Have you been placed in the vine? It's the vine dresser that places you there, but he does so as you place all your faith and trust in Christ Jesus alone confessing him as your savior and as your king. It's called conversion because it's like you take everything that you have and you convert it to the ownership of him. If you've not been placed in the vine, come to him today. Not just come to him today, come to him now. Reach out to him in faith, bow your knee to him and confess him as, as Lord. But isn't it also true, those of you who, who are in the vine, you believers, that you aren't always abiding in him? That's why Jesus actually gives us this illustration. I hope it should be some encouragement to you. He gives us this illustration because you can be in the vine and yet not abiding in Him and His love. And Jesus tells us that in order so we can check ourselves, because first of all, if we think that we're connected to the vine but we aren't abiding in Him, we aren't bearing fruit, then we shouldn't assume that we've actually been grafted into the vine. We can today. then if we're, if we are, we look at our lives and we say, man, I I am bearing some fruit. I am trying, but my abiding has been kind of spotty. And you know, the vine dresser will prune us and he will cut away that which is unfruitful, yet requiring our life and our energy from us. You know what that looks like? It can look like a number of ways, but what it often looks like is him Cutting down areas that we think are our strength. Cutting down ways that we actually rely upon ourselves so that we end up walking with a limp. Recognizing that we cannot be fruitful unless we abide in him. That hurts. But it brings joy. And it brings love. And it brings greater fruit more fruit much fruit and it brings glory to the father but why wouldn't we who are saved by that amazing grace and love why wouldn't we want to abide in him continually and how do we do it thankfully Jesus he tells us he tells us how we're to continue to abide in him and he gives us the reason why we don't It has to do with our motivation. Jesus says this in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, this is an important sentence. We continue to abide in him as we obey him what he's saying we continue to abide in him as we obey him but now remember this isn't about our union with christ this is about our communion jesus didn't obey the father and therefore stayed in the father's love did he he was in the father's love and therefore he obeyed the father that's what he's talking about with us If we abide in his love, we will obey him. But what what knocks us out of communion with him? What knocks us out of abiding in him? So when we aren't obeying him, we aren't following Jesus in his ways, we aren't loving God with our everything, and we aren't loving our neighbors sacrificially, but what is it that causes us to disobey him? What is it that causes us to ignore or disobey his commands? It's this. It's when we doubt God and his love for us and we believe lies. That's what causes us to disobey him. It's when we doubt God's love for us and we believe in lies. Like, he actually, it, it all goes back, it sounds a lot like the, the serpent in the garden. He doesn't really want the best for me. He doesn't really know what's best for me. If I could just do this, if I could just be this, if I could just get this, I feel like he's not giving it to me, and so therefore i got to reach out and grasp it myself. I feel like he's denying me something, and so therefore i got to reach out and grasp it for myself because he isn't truly trustworthy. That's really—we like, wouldn't say it. You guys are too Christian to say those words out loud, but it's the truth that we believe. It's the lie that we believe. He's not really trustworthy. He doesn't really want what's best for me. He doesn't really desire to help me, or he doesn't really care to help me. Oh, he cares about other people out there. I see them living this life, but he hasn't given that to me. He doesn't really care about me, or if he does care, he's just unable to do it. Or unwilling for some reason. And when we, when we hear that, you know what's really doubting? It's doubting God's love for us. And you know what we do when we hear that? We live self-protected and self-directed lives. Where I, can't, I feel like I can't trust God to protect me and I don't want God to direct me and so I will protect myself and I will direct myself. Thank you very much. Jesus is telling us the antidote to that. Here's the antidote. Jesus was, 100 percent percent assured of, God, of the Father's love for him. Jesus was 100 percent assured that God had His best in mind. Jesus was 100 percent assured the father could keep him and he would keep him And because of that jesus was 100 percent obedient to the father's commands this is the secret of the christian life i want to clue you into the secret of the christian life right here right now the secret of the christian life is so simple it's profound it can be difficult and challenging, but it is so simple. The secret of the Christian life, the secret of abiding in Christ is that we are deeply loved, and therefore we obey. That's the secret of the Christian life. That's the secret of abiding in Christ. We are deeply loved, and therefore we obey. That's why our our indwelling sin and the world and and Satan himself are fighting against. That's why they're continually speaking lies to us, telling us there's a a better way, working distrust and disbelief in our hearts towards God, and the result of that is we don't obey him. But the antidote is simple, is to see again and again and again and again and again and again again the mind-blowing love of God towards us. And where do we see it? In Jesus. That's why we should never tire of looking at Jesus, at the person and the work of Jesus. why the cross never gets old for the believer to sing about. That's why the incarnation never ends wonder in heaven or on earth for those who know him. Because Jesus shows us the love of God towards us, why he says to abide in his love. And he has graciously given us so many means of grace that allow us to remind ourselves over and over again and continually reveal to us and we'll reawaken to us his love. He's given us his word and prayer and the sacraments, the table that we're going to partake of today, the fellowship of believers, the songs that we sing, our corporate worship, our personal worship. He's given us all these means of grace. Why do we have them? in order to remind us over and over and over again that we are incredibly, amazingly, mind-blowingly loved by God in Christ, and therefore we obey. What lies have you been believing about God and his love towards you? What lies have you been believing? And then... How would, if you saw it this morning, how would the love of Jesus shatter that lie that you're believing? I just encourage you to ask the the Holy Spirit today, hey, Holy Spirit, show me today the love of Jesus that will destroy this lie that I keep believing. We don't have time to Go over it but he gives us these promises these results of our abiding the results of our abiding if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you answered prayer prayer and obedience are the activities of experiencing communion with God we experience oneness with the father son and holy spirit and therefore we ask that for which honors god and god answers those requests in amazing ways the world is yet to see what god can do with one person one man one woman one child one teenager one college student will consecrate themselves to God in that way and ask him bold prayers he says this by this my father is glorified verse 8 that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples as we abide in the love of God for us in Christ therefore we obey him and he says as we do father will be glorified it's our deepest prayer for the believers that the father would be glorified that God will be glorified in us in our lives he says we will bear much fruit not by our effort but by his effort by his strength by his power by his spirit and by doing so we will prove to be his disciples which is just a underlying just underscore say this is a promise not for the elite Not for the super disciple, but for every person who calls themselves a disciple or a follower of Christ. It's to be someone who dwells and abides in his love, that asks great prayers and sees God answer them. And see the Father glorified and us bear much fruit. And can you imagine what kind of joy that produces? Jesus says, I tell you this not as a rope, not as a weight around your neck, but I tell you this, so that you may have my joy, and that your joy may be full. This is the life of true fullness. This is the fullest life. Where we leave everything that we have and we follow him where we sell everything else and follow him for that kind of joy and because we've been loved. Believer in Christ, I'm going to pray. We're going to open up the front to you this morning and have people come up forward with the bread and the juice, a visible and physical reminder of his love for you. His body that you have been grafted into as you take it. It's this body that the bread, which represents his body, as you take it and it enters into you, remember that Christ, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. As you take that blood that was shed, the juice, and you drink it, his blood was shed for you, the remission of your sins. There is surety and sureness and everlasting, an anchor for you, everlasting anchor for you in his blood that was shed for you. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna have two stations, one on either side. As you come forward on the outside to receive the bread and the juice, return back to your seats. We'll come back together and I think Tad will lead us in communion uh, together and then we'll close by, as we sing together. Father, we praise you for your goodness and greatness to us in christ for your mind-blowing never ending uh, never ending always and forever love father i pray that you would show that love to us this morning reveal that love to every heart that is here do your great work for your glory and for our joy